Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, November 24th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. Why the rest of the world is very excited about the Oxford vaccine. Plus, billionaire Charles Koch tells Mike Allen partisanship doesn't work. But first, today's one big thing. The Biden transition officially begins. Last night, a key government agency gave the green light for President-elect Joe Biden's transition to formally begin. The General Services Administrative Order allows for more than $6 million to be released, as well as office space and briefings on the pandemic and national security to begin. Hans Nichols covers President-elect Biden for Axios. Hans, so the Biden team is about 20 days behind here. That's according to the nonprofit Partnership for Public Services. Most administrations get about 77 days Can you give us a behind-the-scenes look at what happens today? Now the hard work can start, right? I mean, Biden's team has been pretty effective in these last 20 days of pretending that the transition didn't affect them. But in reality, they needed this to happen. They need office space. You need secure computers. You need secure rooms to look at classified intel. Now all that work can start. And now the Biden team will have access to those officials. They're civil servants. They'll cooperate and they can tell the Biden team what's actually going on. And then the Biden team can calibrate and say, here's how we're going to fix it with our policy preferences. President Trump tweeted last night that he's continuing to fight for the election, even though he did also say that he had directed the GSA administrator to announce that the transition could begin. Does this affect the transition What the president's tweeting? No, not really. The president is unlikely to leave a nice handwritten letter for Joe Biden on the Resolute's desk, as per tradition. But in terms of the blocking and tackling of forming a new government, the Biden team just needed this sort of GSA green light for them to get to work. And sure, there are things at the very top that the Trump campaign can do to slow walk this. But the gears of government are now starting to turn. And the civil servants who make up the government across the 17 departments and agencies, they'll start sharing information for the Biden team and planning for them to arrive and be their new political bosses. We've already seen a list of names trickle out yesterday and today for Joe Biden's cabinet. Is there a theme among these nominees? Yeah, it's people who Joe Biden's comfortable with, right? The sense I get is that to be part of the Biden team, you're going to have to have known Joe Biden for a long time. Now, that's not to say it won't be a diverse team, but you have to have had some sort of relationship with Biden world. That's the sort of threshold level. And so I suspect a lot of them will be seeding the administration. Not all of them are going to be banner names, headline names like Janet Yellen that are going to be part of this. But for the most part, when you look at Biden's 36 years in the Senate, eight years in government, a lot of these folks will find positions inside of his governance. They may not be the headline, but they will be the ones populating Biden's administration and getting the work done. And he has to balance that with the competing interest, which is a new generation for the Democratic Party and a really diverse party. Hans Nichols covers President-elect Biden for Axios. Thanks, Hans. Thanks for having me. There's still a lot more that has to happen with this transition involving literally thousands of government employees. And we're going to go into detail about what a general transition is supposed to look like with journalist Michael Lewis on tomorrow morning's Axios Today. We'll be back in 15 seconds with why this third vaccine might be the most important yet. Welcome back to Axios Today. If you're keeping track, we're now at a third vaccine edging close to the finish line. AstraZeneca announced an average efficacy rate of 70% for their vaccine developed alongside Oxford University. 
And while it's not as efficient as the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines announced in the past couple of weeks, it's still well above the 50% rate the FDA requires for vaccines. And it's also a lot cheaper. And that price tag makes this vaccine far more beneficial for developing countries. Dave Lawler is Axios' world editor. Dave, so the idea that Oxford and AstraZeneca are planning to distribute this vaccine at cost, how much cheaper is that than the other ones? And how many more doses then can be distributed? Right. So we're talking about three or four dollars per dose, as opposed to around twenty dollars for the Pfizer vaccine and upwards of thirty dollars for the Moderna vaccine. So that really puts those vaccines out of the budgets of a lot of developing countries. Pfizer and Moderna have already sold hundreds of millions of doses, but almost all of them are going to countries like the U.S., Canada, the European Union, Australia. Whereas the AstraZeneca vaccine, you know, about half of the doses that have been committed so far are going to developing countries. The United States will get access to the AstraZeneca vaccine, but so will India, so will Brazil, so will Bangladesh. This really could be much more significant news for most of the world than the news we got earlier this month from Pfizer and Moderna. Dave, I don't know if people realize this vaccine is part of this global effort called the COVAX initiative. And I wonder if you can explain to us how that's leveling the playing field when it comes to all countries being able to afford a vaccine. Right now, it's very uneven, right, where the U.S. has bought enough doses of of vaccines to vaccinate the entire population several times over. Other countries around the world don't have the funds to invest in the vaccines in bilateral deals. And so the World Health Organization and other groups have organized what is called the COVAX Initiative basically to pool resources and to distribute vaccines to every country that needs them. But we're talking about rather than the entire country being vaccinated, it's going to go in waves. So 3% of the population everywhere for the most at need people, and then it goes up from there. Under that timeline, some people are estimating it'll be 2023 or maybe even 2024 before there are enough doses for everyone. Why is it important that the whole world gets access to at least one vaccine? The short answer is that the pandemic's not over anywhere until it's over everywhere, right? When you have nearly all of the stock of the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine bought up by rich countries, it doesn't leave much room for the rest of the world to make sure that they can cover their populations, too. Dave Lawler is Axios' world editor. Thanks, Dave. Sure. Thanks, Nyla. The billionaire Charles Koch is chairman of Koch Industries, the second largest private company in the U.S. And for years, he's been one of the most influential donors to conservative causes and candidates. But in his new book, he admits partisanship doesn't work. Axios co-founder Mike Allen spoke with Charles Koch on the latest episode of Axios on HBO. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Iowa. Just to set the scene a little bit, so this was the first on-camera interview that Charles Koch has done in more than four years. I flew to Wichita to do this interview for Axios on HBO and talked for more than an hour. Mike, let's play a little clip of what he said to you. We just screwed up by being partisan rather than approaching it nonpartisan. When did you realize that you screwed up? Some of the politicians that we had helped get elected I would see them on TV, and they would be talking about policies that were antithetical against immigration, against criminal justice reform. I was horrified. So he says he screwed up there, but later he told you he doesn't accept responsibility for the bitter partisan divide that currently exists in this country. He says all the divisions that we have in America 
weren't created by his political actions. They were before, and they're going to be there after now that he has made this corks correction. And the funny thing is, he actually said that politics is more divisive than business. So, Mike, what was your takeaway from the time you spent with him? My takeaway is that Charles Koch loves his life, loves his work. He told me that his ultimate popularity contest is with one person, himself. And he told me, I'm not big on regrets. Axios co-founder, Mike Allen. Thank you, Mike. Have a great Thanksgiving. Nyla, have the best Thanksgiving. The full interview between Mike Allen and Charles Koch is on the latest episode of Axios on HBO. That does it for us today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.